Dear Father, as we come before you during this uh, Christmas season, we pray that as we look once again at your word, that we will understand the true meaning of Christmas, and that we will truly not just touch our minds, but our hearts as well. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, it is said that we now live in the post-Christian era. And what that means is that for many people, especially in the Western world, they know very little, if anything, about uh, the basic facts about Christianity. So I was reading a survey, I think it was in uh, one of the books at the back that you can get for free, uh, that actually a very large percentage of people in the West actually believe that Jesus was not a real person in history, that he was either a myth or a legend. And for those people who do believe that Jesus is a or was a real person, they actually just see him as a good person, a good teacher, an aspiring person, someone a bit like Martin Luther King, or perhaps a bit like Gandhi, or maybe even like Mother Teresa. Now as we look at God's word last week uh, in the book of Luke, we can see that that's altogether very different from what the Bible tells us. That Jesus was altogether a real person. He was attested to by eyewitness accounts, by first-hand sources, by history. That he was altogether a very unique and special person. He was one of a kind. He was not just a person like you and me, but rather he was altogether different. And we saw that last week because his coming was prepared by the baby John. And uh, the baby John was sent by God to be a herald, a preparer, a messenger, preparing the way for Jesus. And this baby John was marked out by a birth which was altogether supernatural. He was announced by an angel. He was born of a barren, unfertile mother, a very old father. The father becomes mute and the father and mother choose the same name without discussing it. Now, if the coming of John, the messenger, the preparer, the herald, was supernatural, was a miracle, was special, then the coming of Jesus raises the bar even higher. Right? Because we read here in verse 26 to verse 34 that now the baby which John prepares will come from a virgin. Now, if you sort of think about it, in the whole scheme of things, what is harder? Having a child when you are barren and very old or having a child when you are a virgin? I think it's very clear, isn't it, that uh, if you were to compare the two, you would say it is much, much, much harder, if not impossible, to have a child if you're a virgin. But it is possible in some ways, if you've known people, I've known people who are older and they've tried for years and years to have children, but then they find that they can't, and suddenly, just as they are giving up hope, just as their prayers are faltering, they suddenly have a child. So I think that what's happening here is a bit like, you know, when you go to the Olympics and they raise the bar up to the highest level, it's almost as if, okay, the, the, the birth of, or the, the impending birth of the baby John raises the bar up to a seemingly impossible level. But then now as we read the Gospel of Luke, we come up to an even higher level, which is like beyond the stratosphere, the birth of a child from a virgin. Now, I think that uh, why does why does uh, the Bible record this for us? Is it to stretch our incredulity? Is it to stretch our bounds and of belief and certainty? I don't think so. I think that uh, actually it's trying to show us just how I guess significant the birth of Jesus really is. Now it's very interesting because when you come to verse thirty four, 
Mary herself asked this question. So if you look at verse 34, it says, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now I think this question is very important and we often sort of miss it as we read the whole account because we just focus on Jesus. But I think that as we read this passage, it shows us that even Mary herself doubted the angel's words. Now I was uh, going to a talk a few weeks ago, I told you by this uh, quite well-known scientist called John Lennox. And he was an apologist, a Christian apologist, and he said that the modern man, the modern person, looks with disdain to the ancient people. We look down on the people uh, 2,000 years ago because we think that we are very advanced, we're very progressive, we're very modern in our thinking. And we think of the people in the Bible as being illogical, you know, gullible and believing in all sorts of mumbo-jumbo. But I think John Lennox had a good point. He said even the ancient people understood science, even though they didn't call it science. They understood cause and effect. They understood when you died, you didn't rise again. They understood that if you were a virgin and you never had any sexual activity, you shouldn't have children. So Mary didn't understand about sperm and egg becoming a zygote. Right? She didn't understand biology. But what she did understand was that how could I become pregnant if I was a virgin? And Luke himself, as we see in this passage, so we, we don't know much about Luke, the writer, but if you look up here on the slide, we do know that of all things that Luke was, he was a physician, he was a doctor. And as a doctor, he would obviously be very, be very skeptical uh, hearing that uh, some baby had been born of a virgin. But that doesn't stop him from recording that uh, Mary, the virgin, was actually told by the angel that she would give birth. And we are told in verse 35 to 37, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, for Luke and for Mary, they were not idiots. Right? They were not stupid people. They knew that as a virgin, she couldn't naturally conceive in a biological way. So Luke, as a doctor, was trying to understand, well, how then could she become pregnant? How could the virgin have child, as we sing in the song? How could the man-child come from the virgin Mary? And we read here, in this passage, that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And it seems here that the pregnancy was not based on biology, as we understand it, you know, the sperm and the, and the egg, but rather from the pure creative power of God Himself. And I think that as we look at this passage here, it reminds us of the creation account all the way back in the beginning in the, in the book of Genesis. Because in the beginning in the book of Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In chapter 2, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So what we see here in verse 36 is the Holy Spirit and the creative power of God coming together. That there was divine, direct divine <coughs> involvement coming together so that Mary herself could become pregnant. Now I know that <coughs> for many years, I tried to uh, evangelize my father. And my father is a doctor, 
And one of the main things I kept hearing over and over again, you know, he always said to me, Ah, yeah, there's no such thing as a virgin birth. Who can believe in a virgin birth? You know, I'm a doctor. Don't tell me these things, right? But then later he became a, a, a Christian. And uh, I said, well, how did you resolve your virgin birth problem, right? You know, you remember you kept saying, no such thing as a virgin birth? And what he said was, he said, actually, there is such a thing as a virgin birth. You know, because actually modern science shows us that the virgin can be pregnant and give birth. You know, you, you know today in modern science... You can have artificial insemination and a virgin can be pregnant and give birth. So he said that he may not understand how God caused Mary to become pregnant. But it doesn't mean that it did not happen. It doesn't mean because we cannot understand how the creative force of God, the divine creative force of God, caused Mary to become pregnant. Just because we cannot understand doesn't mean that we say that it does not happen. And I think that's why as we look at this passage, Luke goes to such an extent to show us that something special happened here. That Jesus was not just some other person like you and me. He was special. He was unique. He came about through divine creative involvement. Now, I wonder whether you ever ask yourself the question, why Mary? I mean, not get married, right? But why Mary? Why did God choose Mary, why did God choose a virgin? Why not choose another barren old couple? I mean, after all, we already read of Zechariah right, and Elizabeth last week. Why not choose another barren old couple? Why choose a virgin? And why choose Mary? Well, if you look here in this passage, I think chapter 1, verse 32 seems to be very important and gives us the reason why Mary was chosen. Right. So in verse 32... Oh, I think it's up there, is it? Did I put it up there? Yes, okay. It says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. Now, if you look at this, what does it really mean? When it says, He'll be great and called the Son of the Most High. Now, we know that uh, the baby John, he will become the prophet of the Most High. What does it mean to become the son of the Most High? Well, I think that for the Hebrew people, the understanding of the son of the Most High would mean that he will become the Messiah King. He will become the eternal King promised by God. And they would remember Psalm chapter 2, where God had promised that he would install his own King who would be called the Son. Right, so in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, it says, I have installed my King on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of your earth, your possession. Now, this uh, promise of being Son of the Most High comes about because Mary is married to Joseph. Because in the very next line it says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now if we read earlier on, in verse 27, it says that the virgin was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
Okay, he is in the line of David. He is an offspring of David. Now, who is this David character, right? Is he what David Letterman? Right? Is he some your David, your neighbor? Okay, it's not any old David. It is the David of the past in Israel's time, the Davidic king of David. And God, as we read in the responsive reading, had promised that there would be one who would come in the line of David who would be king forever and ever. And that's why he is son of the Most High. He is the one who will fulfill that promise to be king forever and ever. So in 2 Samuel, remember we read in the um, responsive reading that God has said, I will establish your house and your throne and your kingdom forever and one will come from your own body who will rule forever. So that's why it had to be Mary. right? Because Mary was married to Joseph and through the line of Joseph, Jesus could fulfill that promise made hundreds of years ago that there will be a king in the line of David who will rule for eternity. That's why he's the son of the Most High. And that's why in verse 33, the promise is that he will rule over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, when we hear of this, we understand why Mary was the one that had to have the child. But why not just let Joseph get married to Mary? Why not just let them have their honeymoon and then have kids, right? Because, you know, those days they don't have contraception, so you have kids pretty soon, right? Why, why, why come into the process? Why have an angel? Why have a virgin birth? Why a virgin? Well, I think when Mary asks the same question, the angel answers this answer. In verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born, will be called the Son of God. See, Jesus is the Holy One, the Son of God. See, this goes deeper than just the Davidic king. The very nature of Jesus is of God. He has divine involvement. There is a unique, I guess, DNA structure to, to Jesus, right? I guess if we ever, you know, had the blood test of Jesus, we would say, hey, you know, there's something weird going on here, right? Because he actually has divine qualities. Now, I think sometimes as Christians, we don't really realize this. You know, we think, oh, the baby Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. Okay, what's the big deal? And someone actually from our church spoke to me many, many years ago and says, you know, I never realized that Jesus was God. But the thing is, Jesus is God. Jesus was God. You see, if being born of Mary, being part of the Davidic line is the mission of Jesus, he is to rule eternally, then the nature and the person of Jesus is God-like because of the virgin birth. You see, we learn two things here, the mission of Jesus and the person of Jesus. The mission is he rules forever as a Davidic king. The person of Jesus is that he is divine. He is called the Holy One. See, we are called the sinful ones. We are the sinful ones. Everyone here is the sinful one. Only Jesus himself is called the Holy One because he has... He has God-likeness in him. He is the carbon copy of God himself. He is holy and not sinful. 
Now, I think that we would find this very, very hard to believe if we were to listen to it for the first time. I think, I think for many of us, we are so, uh, I guess, immune to Christmas and immune to listening about Jesus, right? That we don't grasp the immensity of a Davidic eternal king and God come into a world through Jesus. But I think that for Mary, the first time she heard it, it would be very unbelievable even if the angel appeared before her and said, you are to be born and these are the qualities of your son. So look at verse 36. Because here in verse 36 and 37, Luke is trying to tell us as the reader that this fact, even before we go on to the later chapters, can be believed and must be believed. See, look at what it says in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, I think the translation here, verse 36, uh, is a very weak translation in the sense where it says even, right? But, but who talks like that? We don't talk like that, right? It says, oh, you know, even, even, what, when do we use the word even? We hardly use it, right? But actually, I prefer the, uh, the other translations, like the ESV translations or the older translations, which translate the word even as the word be, behold. You know, behold. Uh, behold is the word like, you know, see, you know, watch, pay attention, right? So the angel is saying, look, behold, even your relative is Elizabeth, who was barren, who was very old, is six months pregnant with child. Nothing is impossible with God. And I think that's the point that Luke is trying to make to us. We have two amazing miracles, two amazing pregnancies in six months. Therefore, God is doing something special. You need to pay attention. See, it's a bit like um, I was watching... Um, this old DVD uh, by Star, uh, Tom Cruise. You know, War of the Worlds. Did any of you see it? War of the Worlds. Okay, so anyway, I, I like it uh, because Tom Cruise is always running in that movie. He's running a lot, right? But in the beginning of the movie, right, it's about these aliens coming to, to Earth, right? There's this huge lightning that strikes the Earth like in front of his house. And then his daughter is very, very scared, right? And then uh, he says, don't worry. You know why? Because lightning never strikes type twice, right? I mean, it's true, right? Lightning never strikes twice. I mean, if it strikes there, it won't strike you again. And then just another moment later, the lightning strikes at the same spot. Anyway, why is that? Because there's a alien spaceship underneath there. Okay, so you know the story now, right? But obviously, lightning strikes twice because there is a design, there's a purpose, there's a reason. And that's what the angel is trying to say. That's what Luke is trying to t- tell us. When you have these two things happening at the same time, within six months, Mary, Elizabeth getting pregnant, God is doing something in this world. and We need to pay attention. Now, the story goes on in verse 39 to verse 45. It says uh, that, um, if you look up here in the slide, right, that Mary left Galilee, uh, no, Nazareth, sorry, she's in Nazareth here to go down to Judea, which is a long journey, okay, Nazareth to Judea. And she hurries to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, now we see why, because you know, those days there's no telephone, there's no WhatsApp, there's no SMS. So she wants to go down 
to see her relative Elizabeth, to see whether the angel's story is really true, whether she is really pregnant. Right? Then when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, what happens? The baby, John, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured, the mother of my Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, I know that uh, uh, many of you, actually all of us would have experienced meeting with pregnant women. Because you know, there's so many pregnant women in our midst, right? Okay, even our, our, our worship leader is, is pregnant, right? So, and I, I'm sure that you will tell you, they will tell you that uh, it's very rare for the, 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 the baby to leap in your womb, right? I remember when my kids were young, my wife would say, oh, feel here, feel here, you know, the baby's kicking, right? So you're like feeling all over the place for the kick, right? But when do you actually read of, the, of a baby leaping, leaping with joy? Now, we don't know whether this is literal or figurative, but it's an extraordinary reaction, right? I mean, I'm sure if you ask some of the pregnant women here, and you ask them, has your baby ever leaped with joy when they've met someone? It's kind of unlikely, right? It's like, you know? But something strange is happening here, because even the baby leaps for joy at the presence of the coming of Jesus. And look at the reaction of Elizabeth. It says here, Elizabeth says in verse 43, Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now this is extraordinary because who is Elizabeth? Elizabeth is the old, old auntie, right? And Mary is the young, young woman. So usually it is the younger person who is blessed and favoured to come into the presence of the older, not the opposite. But here the old, old auntie says that she is blessed and favoured because, not because of Mary, but because the mother of my Lord should come to me. That means she's actually saying that she is blessed and favoured and feels great appreciation and gratitude because the mother of her Lord has come. Now what does that mean, the mother of her Lord? It could mean Lord is in king. Right, my Lord, the King, or my Lord as in God. But actually both of those describe Jesus, isn't it? Because He is the Davidic King and He is God come into the world. So we see here that the baby John and the mother Elizabeth both show that the coming of Jesus is actually something which they themselves recognize. Even when Jesus was, I don't know, how long does it take to get from, from Nazareth to Judea? Maybe a month, a couple of months or two? Even though the baby is like the size of my hand or something, they are responding with joy and gratitude and appreciation. Now, as we come to a close of this passage, I, I wonder whether we respond the same way to Jesus. Do we respond the same way that the baby John, who is six months old, who hasn't even seen daylight yet, do we respond the same way? Do we leap with joy at the coming of Jesus? Do we respond like Elizabeth, 
with deep gratitude and appreciation and thanksgiving. And if we don't, then why is that, you see? I remember seeing a poster uh, of uh, a Christmas poster. It says, the true gift of Christmas is not presents, but Jesus. And I was sort of thinking about it. I was thinking, do you think that really resonates with the world or with people? See, if you were, you were to give uh, your friends and neighbors and relatives a choice, okay, if I, you know, give you, I'll give you a choice. I give you as a present Jesus Christ or a Lamborghini, right? Which one do you think they would choose? Or let's say I say to, you know, I say, I'll give you a, 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 a penthouse in Sentosa versus I give you a present of Jesus Christ. Which one do you think they will choose? Or even maybe I say, I'll give you a Prada bag instead of Jesus Christ. Which would you choose? I think that if we were to be very realistic, many people would not choose Jesus. Right? Because we live in a, a very materialistic, naturalistic, consumerist world where we, we really don't want to meet God and we only want what gives us pleasure and things and material things. I remember reading this quote by Albert Einstein, uh, which says, there are only two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle, and the other as if everything is. You see, if you, if you live life thinking that everything is just an accident, everything is just a chance, then do you really want to meet God? Will you leap with joy when you meet God and the King? You probably wouldn't, right? But it's only because we recognize the wonder of creation, the wonder of God, that when we meet God, we are filled with joy. And that's what it should be like when we meet with Jesus. So um, my son was giving me this uh, very dense website of all these uh, arguments about science. So it's quite interesting because he has this cartoon, right? Actually, I don't know where you can see it. I try to blow out as big as you can. And this guy, who is an atheist, uh, was sort of saying that, you know, you think you're a person, right? You think you're that, right? Oh, well, that's a very good thing. Thanks, Nick. How do you do that? Uh? Okay. Anyway, you think that you're this, but actually, what are you? You're actually this. Okay, that's what, that's what he was saying. And he was trying to argue in the website that, you know, look, don't, don't think you're anything special. Uh. Well, if you don't think you're anything special, you think you're a bunch of atoms, then no wonder you prefer your Lamborghini over meeting God, meeting the king. Because to you, it doesn't matter. You don't, you know, there is no wonder in this world. There is no miracle. Everything is just an accident. Then, therefore, why, why be excited about Jesus? You know, I was reading in the newspaper. If you come to the Sunday paper, you'll notice that there is a, a section where they, they meet all sorts of people, right? Famous people. And they always ask you, well, who would you like to uh, invite for your last dinner or something like that, right? And then people say, I want to meet. I want to have dinner with Bono or Elvis Presley or Tiger Woods or Obama or Stephen Jobs or something. And I realized, actually, nobody ever mentions meeting Jesus. And I sort of wonder why that is, right? Because if you were to meet just one person in your whole life, wouldn't you want to meet the everlasting ruler of the world, the Son of God himself? You know, I think... If you actually see um, the posters that people put up over Christmas to evangelize people, it always has uh, some uh, self-interest involved. 
So it's always like Christmas. The, the true gift of Christmas is the gift of eternal life. But the problem is when we look at this passage, it says nothing about the gift of eternal life for Jesus as the Savior. But rather it has Elizabeth and it has Mary and it has the baby John rejoicing over Jesus, the Lord, Jesus the King, Jesus as the everlasting ruler. I wonder again whether people would really, really rejoice with that if they knew what they were rejoicing over. Would they really rejoice over an everlasting king coming into the world forever and ever? I don't think so, you know. I don't think many people want an everlasting king over them forever and ever, even if it is God. I mean, we live in a world where, you know, we are very individualistic. We celebrate personal liberty and freedom. We don't like people telling us what to do. We we feel that we have a right to enjoy life and my happiness. Do we really want to celebrate the everlasting Davidic king coming into the world, ruling over us forever and ever? It's a bit like, um, again, from this guy's website, right? He, he argues why he doesn't want to believe in God. And this is what he says. He says, they tell people to look to ancient scriptures for answers instead of the depths of the mind, and their stubborn certainty when it comes to right and wrong often leaves them in the back of the pack when it comes to the evolution of social issues. See, as you read this statement, you see that uh, what is really important to this person is his personal liberty, his personal choice. He wants to be able to evolve and to change in what he believes is right and wrong. I don't think he'll be very happy during Christmas, if you really understood it, because it's celebrating the coming of the king who will rule forever and ever and tell you what is right and wrong. But what I want to say to us today is, it's very sad because this person is obviously a very intelligent person, but he doesn't know God like Mary, like Elizabeth or the baby John. He doesn't know the miracle of life every day, the miracle of breath every second we take it. He doesn't know the love of God, the grace of God, the blessing and favor of God. See, Jesus is a real person. He's historical. And Jesus is special. He is the Davidic eternal ruler. And he is God himself. And the right attitude should be to respond with leaping of joy and great gratitude. Deep gratitude. Because we are not to be infected by the spirit of this age which says, well, the most important thing is materialism and fun and happiness, but but really is to know God and the love of God and the grace of God come in Jesus Christ. So I hope that as we reflect on this passage today, we will see that actually the coming of Jesus as King, as God, in and of itself, to want to reach out to us, to know us, to meet us, to have a relationship with us, that is something to really rejoice about. And Christmas is about that time where Jesus comes into the world. That even as he is no bigger than my hand, Elizabeth and the baby John were already rejoicing at his coming. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that Christmas is a remembrance of the time 2,000 years ago, where you came into the world in Jesus, where you sent your Son 
that he was the fulfillment of the promises made to David. That one from his house, one from his line would come and rule forever and ever. And dear Father, help us to see that this person was divine. He was God. He was your son. Dear Father, help us to truly rejoice like the baby John, to leap with joy, to be like Elizabeth, and to feel great favor, your great blessing upon us, that you would you would care to come and speak to us and to have a relationship with us. Dear Father, help us not be like the world which is materialistic, naturalistic, consumerist, which only wants things, which only seeks our pleasure, our freedom, our liberty, but, but help us to see that you are a God who loves us, who only wants what's good and right for us. And it is only through having a relationship with you that we really come to know our Creator, our Maker, and the One who cares and loves us. And dear Father, help each and every one of us here truly rejoice at the coming of Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.